Hello, Gut Check Project fans and KBMD Health family. I hope that you're having a great day. It's time now for episode number 67. This is an interesting podcast. This is probably not the same lighthearted one. It's actually a pretty serious topic. Today's guest is Chris Elston. Now, some of you may have heard of him before, known as Billboard Chris. And the topic that he's going to discuss today really deals with kids and, in his opinion, how they could actually be subject to abuse and what some parents probably just simply may not know in, uh, well, in this particular battle. I don't want to spoil what we're getting into. Just just understand that this particular episode is just not going to be quite as lighthearted as... Uh, as any of the previous episodes really at all, but it is quite serious. It's important. And it's probably something that you may or may not be that keenly aware of, but Chris had some information that children are subjected to certain types of dangers that frankly just don't get talked about probably enough, regardless of where you find yourself on the issue. So anyhow, Go ahead, tune into this particular episode, and let's get to the sponsors, which are, of course, Autron Teal. Get your daily polyphenols at Autron Teal, or just go to lovemytummy.com, and of course, use code KBMD, and save yourself a little bit of money and get your daily polyphenols. Doesn't matter if you're an athlete, doesn't matter if you have gut issues, doesn't matter if you just want to make certain that your body is producing the right type of postbiotic compounds to support your health. Get your daily polyphenols with Autron Teal, lovemytummy.com. And of course, Unrefined Bakery, unrefinedbakery.com. If you like great tasting food, and it doesn't matter if you just like great tasting food or if you happen to adhere to a specific diet like keto or gluten-free, yes, that's right. This is the place for you because you can have some great tasting food, even bread, desserts. They make them for your specialty diet. Oh, vegan. I almost forgot. Vegan. If you're vegan, unrefinedbakery.com. Use code GUTCHECK if you go online and save 20% off of your entire first order. They ship to the entire lower 48 states. So unrefinedbakery.com. Get some delicious food, especially if you adhere to one of these specific diets. Last but not least, go to kbmdhealth.com. That's kbmdhealth.com. It seems perpetually, <clears throat> excuse me, that we say things like this, that uh, we are updating the site, but we are. And a lot of it just is geared around the research that, uh, that we're doing. But go to kbmdhealth.com, check out Dr. Brown's very own signature CBD. Of course, the signature packages that include KBMD CBD as well as Autron Teal and even Broccolite. That's right. Get your daily sulfurophanes. Sulfurophanes, that's right. Arm your body for some anti-cancer defense with sulfurophanes, Broccolite, and you can only get Broccolite Pro from a physician. Thankfully, my awesome co-host, Dr. Kenneth Brown, he's a doctor. So they've made Broccoli Pro available to us through kbmdhealth.com. It's now time for episode number 67. Let's tune in now for Billboard Chris, Chris Elston. 
Hello, Gut Check Project fans and KBMD Health family. It's Eric and Ken, and we are about to introduce an awesome guest, Ken, here for episode number 67, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I, this is something that is new to you and I. We discovered Billboard Chris through another podcast, and I was absolutely floored by his knowledge, by his passion, by his desire to at least get this message out. And it's going to be a very cool, interesting show that should provoke some deep visceral feelings when we get done. And we're going to talk science and we're going to talk all this stuff. But I'm so thrilled that we have uh, Billboard Chris on the show. Me too. And just before we uh, call him in, I can say that when I heard about what his effort was, I immediately called you. We'll get into that in a moment. But essentially, ladies and gentlemen, this is Chris Elston, also known as Billboard Chris. And he simply is a dad of two girls. He wants to be a great dad and he wants to protect not only what their future holds, but it looks to me like he wants to share that message of what he feels like is utterly important to do that, not for only his kids, but yours as well. So Billboard Chris, Chris Elston, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, guys. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to a couple of doctors. This is going to be a great podcast, I think. Uh, that's that's awesome. Oh, and and by the way, he's he hails all the way from Vancouver. And by the time, by the time I heard his podcast, uh, he had just left right in our area. So. Yeah, nothing like going. Oh, I was just in Austin. <laughs> like, oh, really? <laughs> so, Timing's everything. Yeah, we're having to do Zoom because uh, well, my my timing to turn on this other particular podcast was uh, was off. So, uh, so Chris, um, again, welcome to the show. You are a dad of two girls. So, how old are your kiddos? They're nine and 12, two girls. Nine and 12, and you live in Vancouver. Yeah. Um, so the compelling part of your story was really all of it. And what I think, Ken, unless you object, getting into just what brought you to be Billboard Chris from the beginning, you've, you've got these two beautiful babies. They are, they are still quite young. How did you get into this? Where, what were you doing before? And, and uh, you know, take us to kind of where we are now. We'll just ask questions as we go. So most of my adult life has been spent as an investment advisor, actually. I got out of that five or six years ago um, and was just doing some insurance stuff and group benefits for businesses up here. But, but uh, the real passion of my life with most parents, of course, is their family. That's all we really care about. That's why we do everything else. And I became aware of this craze, particularly affecting adolescent girls who now have come to believe that they are boys because there is a teaching going on out there, not based in science, that we all have a gender identity and that some of us are born in the wrong body or that we have a girl brain or a boy brain, irrespective of our physical bodies. Mm -hmm. And we have this epidemic that's exploded among adolescent girls who suddenly present with gender dysphoria. It's what an academic researcher named Lisa, Dr. Lisa Littman has termed rapid onset gender dysphoria. And she wrote a breakthrough paper about this a few years ago. And Abigail Schreier, who's a journalist has since followed up and written a spectacular book about this called Irreversible Damage, the transgender craze seducing our daughters. But this is a brand new cohort getting affected by this gender distress. Historically, gender dysphoria affected 
boys a lot more than girls. One out of every few thousand was very rare. And it started young with boys, three, four, five, six years old, who would be more feminine. Nothing wrong with that, of course, right? There's no way, there's no right way to be a boy. There's no right way to be a girl. And our studies, our academic studies that we have going back several decades, ever since the word gender has been first coined by Dr. John Money. But we have studies into gender dysphoria. And 80 to 90% of the time, these kids with severe gender dysphoria from a young age simply grew out of it when puberty came. And the majority of these kids actually grew up to be gay or lesbian, mm. which makes a bit of sense when you think about it. Really effeminate boys often grew up to be gay. But uh, what's going on today is we have this brand new cohort, never affected by this before, adolescent girls, which is a group, of course, susceptible to mental health crises. We've had, of course, epidemics of anorexia and bulimia and cutting and all sorts of stuff. It's hard growing up. It's hard going through puberty. I think it's especially hard for girls. And I think it's probably harder than ever during this Instagram era and social media because that puts all sorts of new pressures on these kids. So if you don't mind uh, me yeah. asking real quick, you're describing the, the hardships specifically as it pertains to, to females. And, and actually we had this discussion when we were scoping our reader today with some of the, uh, the females that we were working with, the oddities that can happen around maybe a young girl who may end up developing a little bit earlier and getting yeah. attention than maybe somebody else in her circle. But is this something that maybe one of your daughters was experiencing or one of her friends was experiencing that kind of brought you into the fold here? No. So that's what makes me an oddity in this is because almost everyone who's speaking out about this has been personally affected. Okay. And I'm just kind of one of those guys that kind of researches everything. And I became aware of some of these gender issues going on where I live in Vancouver. We're kind of the epicenter for a lot of the craziness that's going on within gender ideology. But I don't even know when I first heard the term puberty blockers, mm -hmm. but I learned that we're, Given kids, we, society, endocrinologists to be specific, are giving children these drugs which stop their bodies going into puberty. And I, I heard this term and I just went, what? Like, what is this? Because instantly, for most people out there, that's just a little bit mind-boggling. And so I learned that thousands of kids are being given this, what is an experimental drug, because it's never been approved for this purpose. Mm -hmm. It's a, in North America, it's usually a drug called Lupron, which was originally given FDA approval to treat prostate cancer in men, endometriosis in women. It's the same exact drug given to pedophiles to chemically castrate them because it totally destroys Whoa. their sex drive. I did not know that. Yeah. Wow. It was given to children as young as five or six when they, when they have a condition called precocious puberty which means usually girls going into puberty extremely young. Mm -hmm. So they give it this drug to those kids, but then take them off so they can go through puberty. Mm -hmm. But it's never been used to actually stop healthy, normal puberty from occurring. Because the theory is if a girl is really a boy inside, whatever that means, of course it doesn't mean anything. The theory is to stop these children from looking more like their sex. So you don't want boys getting facial hair, the broad shoulders. You don't want girls' hips expanding, 
which is something that happens in puberty that won't happen when they're on this drug. Their breasts won't grow. Boys' penises do not grow. You end up with 18-year-olds with a micropenis for life. And their bones don't gain any density while they're on this drug. In fact, they lose density. I was just talking to a mom in California a few weeks ago, and her daughter was on these, these puberty-blocking drugs from the age of 12 to 15. They did bone tests every year, and she lost 11% of her bone density. A documentary was just done in Sweden, fourth part of this documentary series called Mission Investigate. Uh, your, your viewers can Google it. It has English subtitles. But this most recent episode of this documentary series revealed that this girl suffered spinal fractures and has osteopenia, which is early stage osteoporosis, because her bones aren't forming properly. They're not calcifying. This is child abuse, guys. I totally agree. So it seems uh, to me that um, a lot of what you have put the effort in and in, in highlighting what the problem is, it's not necessarily that somebody at some point in their life wishes to change their identity uh, or anything else like that. You're specifically concerned of the ramifications of what happens when a young child essentially is and, and uh, is blocked from experiencing puberty and the manifestations that would happen after that. Is that correct? That's right. This is mainly the medical issues that I'm talking about. And no, I'm not a medical doctor, but you don't need to be a medical doctor to be able to read research reports. You don't need to be a medical doctor or anything really to understand that we are a sexually dimorphic species, that we are male and female, and that we shouldn't be stopping the healthy development of children. Okay, what he's saying right there is totally fascinating because he, he has a uh, two girls, a nine and a 12 year old. They have not been affected by this or directly affected. Correct. He, he came across this and being a former financial advisor, did he say? Mm -hmm. Former financial advisor, you can see him starting to get into the passionate portion of this where he's like, wait a minute, let's just talk about, the, the, let's forget the whole gender issue. If you develop osteopenia, osteoporosis, a vertebral stress fracture, all this stuff, we worked so hard to prevent this in menopausal women and this is happening to teenagers? Not only that, you're setting him up for this kind of experience for life. So, absolutely. You know, this is what, what I really want to get into a little bit, and then we'll get into the science of this, and then we'll try and get away from the stigma of what we're actually talking about, which is, you know, the psychology of it. But how does somebody become, how does he make that leap from a career to, I'm going to go around and educate people on this? Well, I think one of the coolest things is, is that if he felt this passionate about what the problem was, that he was in a position where he could go and maybe he, he had made enough money. And he's one of those that you're like, man, if I just had enough money, I would go and do something. Well, maybe he just had enough money to to embark upon this campaign to educate people that this is what's happening. And honestly, folks, we haven't even gotten 
to probably some of the more nefarious aspects of well this is yeah that's the thing is that we need to get into that's why we are here as healthcare uh providers talking to him where he's educating us on this stuff because it's you know it's something that you and i have never really dealt with so okay we're back and sorry for the uh the brief blip there but chris is back with us and we're reconnected and essentially right before you dropped off chris we had just hit upon the osteoporosis or osteopenia issue and the the declining bone density and um right so what you were saying was is that lupron by blocking or any drug really that could block luteinizing hormone and fsh which come from the pituitary gland they stop the maturation through puberty which could lead towards a decrease in bone density. And then you said that someone had been tracking their daughter and noticed that, that uh, she had lost 11%. Is that correct? That's right. I'm out in California. Uh, we have some other studies from some gender clinics themselves, smaller studies that show that this is just the way it goes. So there's nothing controversial here. This is a proven fact. But I guess we're just supposed to accept that there are some physical problems associated with this and go ahead with doing this unethical unproven procedure on children anyway it just makes no sense we've only touched on a few of these points we don't even know what not getting their own hormones is doing to these children's brain development we have no idea because there's never been a clinical study they did a small study on sheep that showed there were cognitive delays but this whole thing is experimental so we're experimenting on kids to satisfy an ideology that teaches them that they're born in the wrong body, which is wholly pseudo-scientific to start with. So. so absolutely, and we're gonna get deep into that, but out of curiosity, I mean, you had this prior career. I just wanna know the why, how you left that, and exactly, can you explain to the audience what you're exactly doing right now? So I did leave it. Uh, the. I knew I was going to do something and I hadn't figured it all out, but starting in July of 2020, I had learned way too much and I wasn't going to go through life doing nothing about this because I didn't, I felt responsible. I felt like having knowledge of what's going on. I felt just a duty as a citizen to try to prevent what I see as the biggest child abuse medical scandal ever. So the first thing I actually did was I put up a billboard, a big billboard in Vancouver that said, I love JK Rowling. Really? <laughs> yeah. So, so this, that, that's uh, the Harry Potter author. I mean, I mean, I hate yeah. to keep, I hate to keep going down this rabbit hole, but like you're sitting around the table with your family and you're like, I'm going to take out a billboard. Like how was that received at home first before you even did it? Uh, home life was fine. I don't, I don't talk about, I don't talk about uh, family stuff too much just because I do this as an autonomous individual. Gotcha. Cool. And so my wife is a teacher. So anyway, I just do this. This is my doing and um, can't really get into who oh, supports me and who fine. doesn't. Yeah. I, I hope fine. that makes sense. It makes total but, sense. Um, yeah. But no, my immediate family does, of course, support me. Um, and so I don't know if you know, but JK Rowling has spoken out against some of these things. She's spoken out against the child abuse 
going on, the medical scandal. She's spoken about women's rights, how women's sex-based rights are affected by a lot of what's happening today in the gender world. But she's never said a thing that's transphobic. She wrote a really compassionate essay in, uh, I guess it was, man, this time has flown by. I guess it was this year, earlier this year, 2021, about her reasons for speaking out. But um, what had happened was a woman named Posey Parker, who speaks out against about women's rights issues in the UK, she had put up a poster at the Edinburgh train station that said, I love JK Rowling. And it got taken down the next day because some people on Twitter complained. And they did an FOI request and there wasn't a single official complaint. But they took it down. And I had just had enough. And I'd been reading Harry Potter all year last year. Every night at bedtime, I was reading to my eight-year-old. And honestly, those experiences are what life's all about. Those moments where you're having those bedtimes with your kids and reading stories, and then their inner thoughts from the day start to come out. It's just the most bonding experience ever for a parent with a child. And we were bonding, reading J.K. Rowling's books, and I was learning about all this stuff happening to kids. And it just didn't sit with me that we can't even put up a sign that says, I love J.K. Rowling. So it got taken down in Scotland. I said, forget it. We'll do the same thing here. And I put one up here. It got paint bombed overnight. And then a Vancouver city councillor the next day said it was hate speech. And she... You love J.K. Rowling. (laughs) I love. Oh, that's hate. Yeah. Yeah, it's got a heart on it, guys. (laughs) (laughs) She's the biggest, most spectacular, popular children's author in history, but apparently that's hate speech. So the the sign company took it down the next day. They covered it up to be specific. And so there was a ton of outrage on Twitter. This made some news around the world and I was prepared for that. So I leveraged that outrage into more billboards. And I reached out on Twitter and I said, if you wanna do this in your city, I'll do all the work and I'll take all the heat. I just need help with funding because I'm not a rich guy. And right away, within minutes, a woman who's an executive at Silicon Valley reached out. She sent a few thousand dollars. I raised more from Canadians that night. And a week later, I had a billboard up in San Francisco saying the same thing. And then this campaign kept going and we did billboards in Portland, Utah, uh, all throughout the underground in Washington, DC, the Metro, and then Times Square. So that was all of September of 2020, and that campaign came to an end. But I wasn't done because nothing's been accomplished. This is just about raising awareness. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm not allowed to put up a billboard anywhere in Canada, which I'm not really, because we only have two sign companies and they won't do it. I just thought, well, they can't take a sign off my back. So I had some signs made that I wear like a sandwich board. And the sign on my front says, usually children cannot consent to puberty blockers. And the sign on my back often says, gender ideology does not belong in schools, because that's where children are getting indoctrinated a lot. Or I have a definition of a dad, which is a human male who protects his kids from gender ideology. So let's talk about that a little bit, about what you're, what you're protecting, because I felt like that this was, before we even get to the, to the medical ramifications this was something that really kind of i I was just completely unaware until i heard you uh, discussing it you said that there is an element of indoctrination which is occurring in the school and 
if I remember correctly, you even said that a often there is a lack of parental awareness. So even as a as a dad of to myself, I didn't want my kids being subjected to anything that that myself or my wife didn't feel like was safe and appropriate for my kids. And of course, if I'm on board with it, then it's it's a decision that we've made as a family, but I certainly don't need an external force making that decision for me. So can you kind of speak of, of the, the indoctrination that you discovered and, and how that kind of plays into what, what's going on here? Sure. So one of the most popular resources that's used to teach children is something called the genderbred person. And it's this cute little image of a gingerbread man, but of course they call it the genderbred person because they don't want to use gendered terms. But it states on there that your gender identity, which apparently trumps biological sex these days, but your gender identity is based on your personality, your jobs, your hobbies, likes and dislikes, roles, and expectations. So all of these different things contribute to what is called your gender identity. So if we analyze that, <laughs> it's just stereotypes. It's yeah. entirely stereotypes, roles and expectations. We got away from sexist roles in society where women did certain jobs and men did certain jobs. And we're supposed to teach our girls that they can be anything they want to be when they grow up. We're not supposed to teach them that certain roles like being an engineer, for example, puts them on this gender spectrum towards being a boy. Tomboys are now taught sometimes if they get these woke teachers that they're actual boys, that they have a boy's gender identity, that they were born with a boy brain or born in the wrong body just because they want to play in the dirt or play football or they're really into math or they want to be an engineer or they just hate girly things. Like, you know. I, I, I want to interrupt you really quick because this was yeah. a point that was brought up today at work. Um, okay. One of the beautiful things where we work is that we bounce everything off these wonderful employees that we have with us. And we have lots of young employees in their early 20s. And I, we brought that up. I said, we're, we're, we're going to do a podcast with you. And very eloquently, one of our employees said, well, I, I went through a tomboy phase because mm -hmm. I realized that women, girls start developing a little bit quicker. They start having emotions sooner and the boys are oblivious to it and to get any attention. So she's like, I had small crushes on these boys when I was 12 years old or 11 years old and they were oblivious. And the only way to interact with them was to do boy things. She's like, I, it wasn't really even that I sat there and woke up and said, I want to be a boy. It's that I'm attracted to these boys, don't really understand it, can't really, I just know that I'm happier when I'm playing with them because they're ahead of the curve uh, emotionally. And that's very well known that girls get there a little quicker than boys. And she actually said, well, being a tomboy, me and most of my friends did that. Yeah just so sure. that we could kind of hang out and fit in. Yeah. And then you get girls, some of these girls might grow up to be a lesbian. So 
they're more boyish, right? Um, and they might even be attracted to girls. So then that's just, this ideology is so strange because if you talk to any of the people who push it and you say that stereotypes are bad and we should never put kids in stereotypical boxes and there's no right way to be a boy or girl, they'll all agree. But they have this huge blind spot because this teaching that children are born in the wrong body, well, if you ask them, what does it mean for a girl to be a boy? They can't tell you unless they resort to stereotypes. It's all just stereotypes. Instead of being just a gender non-conforming child who's going to grow up to be whatever, be attracted to whoever, we're putting pressure on these kids to adopt some gender identity. So effectively, and, if there was a girl at a young age who likes dump trucks, but maybe she just liked dump trucks, they're, yeah. they're saying that their ability is, they're saying that we shouldn't have gender roles. However, this person likes dump trucks. This, this person probably really wishes that they were a boy, which is also odd to me because now you're saying that somebody who wasn't assigned or is, is fluid, what have you, but we're going to go ahead and help assign them to a completely different, uh, more recognizable sex characteristic. It, it, it's not congruent really at all. Yeah, toys are one of the factors. The CBC, yeah. the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, just did a documentary focusing on a, what they call a, a trans child. I don't really use that terminology. They're just children. I don't like giving identities to children and cementing this social identity in place. Mm -hmm. But one of the factors that helped this boy to determine that he was a girl was that he played with girls' toys. <laughs> this means nothing. They're toys. In Texas, so everyone watching this in Texas needs to get up to speed on the case of Jeff Younger. So if you Google Save James or Google Jeff Younger, this is a dad. He's a great man. He's actually running for the uh, House of Representatives or whatever you call it there in Texas mm -hmm. now. But he's got two twin boys and he's not allowed to see them anymore. And I've hung out with this guy for a couple of days. He's a very eloquent man. He's very intelligent. And when his twin boys were two and a half years old, one of his boys liked a purse with a unicorn on it. Mom decided that this meant her boy was really a girl. No. And mom is a pediatrician. No. The judge just wants to listen to mom. Mom even moved to a county where she got a more favorable judge. And the judge just listens to mom. And the dad can't see his kids anymore. I think he would have to pay $600 for a two hour visit to have two social workers present. But this boy's on record, even with social workers saying he doesn't want to be a girl, that his mom is just pushing this on him. He's a really good boxer. He's into boxing, Olympic talent scouts. He's a little older now. But Olympic talent scouts have looked at him and stuff. But mom is pushing this on her boy, and dad's lost the right to see his own children. What? And what's happening in schools, this is a big case in Texas, but what's happening in schools, depending on where you live, where I live, British Columbia, and pretty much all across Canada, if a child at school decides that they're the opposite gender, they change their name, they change their pronouns, and now they're transgender, they will hide this from the parents 
unless the child consents. So the whole school knows that Lucy is now Jim. The administrators all know, the teacher knows, but the parents are the only ones who don't know. This is policy. The BC Teachers Federation, it's in the, their handbook. It's in the Toronto School District's guidelines. It's, this is happening all over the United States as well. I don't think you've got this in Texas yet, but it's coming unless people stop it from coming. Can I because ask you, this, yeah. to put it in perspective, if a child goes to a school counselor and says that they have suicidal ideation, will the school withhold that from the parents as well? Or if the child says, I'm addicted to methamphetamines, I would like rehab, but don't tell my parents, will they withhold that also? I don't think they would withhold suicidal ideation, but well, I'll, that's a really I'll, good question. I'll tell you that's here, really by yeah. law, if you're, if you're exposed to that, if I'm a physician and a patient tells me that I believe I'm going to kill myself, by law, I'm required to inform somebody. And if right. it's a child, you are required to tell the parent. We have right. to have a sit down. Your child is having suicidal ideations. So I just bring that up because we have laws for other thoughts. And then yeah. this one suddenly just gets carved out into its own little, yeah. nope, black box. Sorry to interrupt. Right. No, I'm sure they would. And I'm sure they would tell the Ministry of Children and Families as well. But it's interesting you bring that up because the number one argument by far that I hear all the time and this is a talking point that's parroted by all the activists, is if we don't let children physically transition, that they'll kill themselves. And it's just a despicable lie. So yes, suicidal ideation is higher among these kids. We haven't touched on this yet, but all these kids have something else going on. Autism is huge in this community of children wanting to transition, 40 to 50%. We have some gender clinics who have the number at 40%. From my own personal experience, talking to hundreds of parents, I'd say it's almost even higher. I think I'm on a streak of 10 in a row whose parents say their kid is on the autism spectrum. Mm -hmm. But there's always something going on. There's a comorbidity, autism, ADHD, very common, abuse, trauma, sexual abuse for these girls is extremely common. Mm -hmm. They've been abused sexually. Why? Because they're girls. So what do they want? They're given an escape route. They're told you can just become a boy. And they'll get given puberty blockers. They'll get cross-sex hormones. So they'll get testosterone. And they'll grow a beard and they'll get a deep voice. We have thousands and thousands of girls, minors, getting their breasts cut off. There are 42,000 females on GoFundMe right now raising money just to get top surgery, it's called. They give it a nicer name than a double mastectomy just because of gender. Is there an age uh, limit for that where you can set that up or can a teenager do that, get a GoFundMe and raise money for that? Yeah, teenagers do that. Wow. And surgeons are cutting off the breasts. I've seen kids as young as 13 with their breasts getting cut off. Oh and some of these surgeons advertise it on TikTok. 
there's this blonde female surgeon who does these cute little TikTok videos where she's sad because she doesn't have enough teats to yeet this week. I guess yeet is some slang term. But they're marketing to children to cut what? their breasts off. In, in, in uh, Texas, you've got Dr. Curtis Crane, who does a lot of the sex reassignment surgeries. He, he had to leave California because he wasn't allowed to practice medicine there anymore. But he probably does two of these sex reassignment surgeries a day. They're at 100 grand a pop. And there's always complications as well, always serious complications. For the boys who've been on puberty blockers, because their penis didn't grow, when they try to get a sex reassignment surgery, what they do is they invert the penis. Not enough tissue. So, but there's not enough tissue. So where do they take it from? They get it from the stomach or from the colon to make the lining for this neovagina. And it, and it stinks and it has other complications. For girls, sometimes they'll get what's called a phalloplasty where they basically take a huge chunk of flesh off their forearm or out of their thigh and they make this fake phallus that doesn't actually do anything except sit there. But this stuff gets super macabre and gross, and I don't like getting into that too much. Yeah, sure. But what's, the main thing to focus on is that in schools across the nation and on social media, these kids are falling into these rabbit holes. They're getting groomed online in many cases by adults to believe that they're actually trans. And all these kids have something else going on. These aren't the happiest, sportiest, you know, kids who are just thriving in life. They're having a difficult time. This one girl in Victoria, BC, whose mom I talked to, she reached out to me over a year ago because on the first day of school, the teacher asked the class for their preferred name and pronouns. And this girl was having a tough time in life. She developed really young. At the age of 10, 10 and a half, she had D cups. Her parents had separated. They just moved. She's since been diagnosed with depression and ADHD. So there's all these things going on. And she was having a terrible time. And so she decided to be a boy. And she was sent to the school counselor. And the school counselor was coaching this 11 year old girl on how to get breast binders which are these super tight compression sleeves that crush your breast tissue and cause damage. The school counselor was coaching her how to get these without her mom knowing. 11 years old. Wait a minute, 11 years old, that is essentially a medical device and the parents weren't informed? Not only not informed, but trying to hide it from the mom. Oh my gosh. Wow. So I wanna highlight something that I've noticed that is a, is a very important but recurrent theme that you say in this, if this weren't a transgender issue, this simply would be you highlighting child abuse. This, these right. are opportunities for children to either be coerced or enticed well beyond the, the purvey of their, of their parents to engage in an activity that could ultimately cause some some long-term damage and certainly some early portion damage but you you've not once said that you have an issue with an adult no deciding that they are transgendered because that is in fact an adult making a decision i mean 
children don't sign, at least here in Texas, they don't sign contracts. They have to be a certain age to even drive a car. There's, there are different, there are different things of, and stages of maturation, which historically throughout time have always mattered for in, in civil society, for people to make decisions for themselves. You've got to be at a certain level to make a conscious decision about you, yourself, your future, and certainly your health. Um, what, what, where, where do you think the intersection is, the rub here is where people are losing sight of these are children who are essentially being coached away from the side of their parents to make these really heavy decisions for themselves? Right. So you're right. This isn't about adults at all. If adults want to do something to their body, if they want to transition physically, that's their choice. Now, ideally, they should probably wait until they're 25 and at least learn all the risks because our brains continue forming. Mm -hmm. And in many cases today, it's 18 and 19 year olds doing this stuff, but the indoctrination started when they were still little children. Mm -hmm. But um, no, adults can do whatever they please. And the studies show that 80 to 90% of the time, kids from a young age with severe gender dysphoria simply grow out of it. So for the 10 or 15% who grow up to adulthood and still have this severe gender distress, well, everyone just wants them to be happy. They should do whatever makes them happy. But we don't sterilize an entire generation of gender non-conforming kids. I just want to repeat that though, 85 to 90% of these kiddos who have this experience grow up to outgrow this issue anyhow. That's critically important because yeah. if all of them were, were to be intercepted by one of these adult advocates or activists, then you're, you've essentially changed the course of natural development life and probably a lifelong uh, a lifelong series of, of health complications from brain to heart, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Dr. Marcy Bowers, who is a trans woman, who is the president elect of the World Professional Association for Transgender Health. This is the organization that sets the standards of care mm -hmm. that gender clinics are supposed to follow, but they don't follow. But Dr. Marcy Bowers admitted in an interview with Abigail Schreier about a month ago, that a lot of these kids, when they grow up, will never be able to have an orgasm. They will be anorgasmic. This applies particularly to the boys. But we're sterilizing these kids. After five or six years on testosterone, testosterone causes uterine and vaginal atrophy. So these girls or young women have to get their uterus removed. They're getting oophorectomies where they get their ovaries removed. So now they are now lifelong dependents on exogenous hormones. They're not even producing their own estrogen anymore. So they'll either have to take that for life or they'll take testosterone for life. And if you read the consent forms at these children's hospitals, when these kids are going on testosterone, these girls, it literally states on the consent form, we don't have the long-term information associated with this treatment. So if we don't have the long-term information, how can a child give informed consent? Children can't give consent anyway because yeah, they're no children. They, they can't enter into legally binding contracts. Their brains are still forming. A new, a recent article came out, a scientific article, I'll send it to you guys, showed that, you know, our bodies are such complicated things and we've evolved over hundreds of millions of years. But the hormones that come naturally during puberty, in most cases, 
help these children to feel better about the sex that they're in. Helps them feel better about being a girl or being a boy. And some studies show that there's also some you know, rewiring of the brain to use a crude terminology, but it's all part of the maturation process. And we're stopping kids from getting their own hormones, which would help them feel comfortable. And then part of this process isn't just blocking puberty, it's always a two-step process which involves the opposite sex's hormones. And so this is not natural. Our bodies are not made for this. We have never had a study done into this. Women on endometriosis only go on this drug for six months because it causes mood swings and bone pain and all sorts of terrible negative side effects. Um, AbbVie Pharmaceuticals has had to settle billions of dollars in lawsuits for misleading people about this very drug in the past. But for some reason now, we just give it to kids off-label because it happens to stop puberty. And because people are buying this myth that kids will kill themselves if you don't let them physically transition. But we've been on this planet for two or 300,000 years as humans. Right. And we've never had this uh, huge surge of adolescents killing themselves because they're born in the wrong body. This is just an ideology. Well, and so, if it were true, yeah. Oh, I just want to say, as an adult doctor, when I was doing internal medicine, if we were giving Lupron to somebody with prostate cancer, mm -hmm. it was very clear that I would sit there and say, look, we're going to do this. It's going to be blocking your hormones. These are some very typical side effects, which do include depression, which do include anxiety. This is something that you need to address with me immediately. If I'm going to put you on this, you will more than likely have weight gain. You will more than likely have some hair loss, all these other things that as an adult male who's dealing with prostate cancer goes, well, I'm willing to risk that. Oh my gosh. You look at those side effects and you put that into a 12 year old. Yeah. What? Yeah. Well, you know, another thing, Chris, though, it, it, during this developmental stage and, and adolescence and, and going all the way through puberty and all the, the, the Tanner stages, those are critically important to all of us, uh, regardless of male or female. And I just kind of want your what your research has shown, your opinion on, the, on what the research has shown, where when you block someone's hormones, their sex hormones, especially during a developmental period of their life. I get the feeling after reading some literature, I was motivated to read after hearing your podcast or, the, or your interview that you were on, that some parents enter into this even thinking that, well, if it actually isn't what they want to do, it's all reversible. But nothing right. could be further from the truth. You want to kind of right. expand on that a little bit? Yeah, it's just another lie that the activists use to make it seem okay. So it's true that if you only gave these puberty blockers to a kid for three months and then took them off, not too much harm done, right? And so they present this to parents and to children and to the society at large as just a pause button. They're just pausing puberty to buy time for a child to think about this and figure out if they want to transition. But that's just a lie. It never happens like that. If you look at the Tavistock in the UK, which is the gender clinic in the UK, dishing out all these meds, they had their own internal study, which they buried and never released for six years. They didn't release it until after a high court ruling came out last December. But their own study showed that all of the kids except for one went on to the opposite sex as hormones. They stayed on the puberty blockers and then they went on to the cross-sex hormones. So it was 98% of their own patients went on to cross-sex hormones. 
Mm-hmm. Because by the time these kids end up in these gender clinics, they're fully committed. They're going on to this medical pathway. They want to stop their puberty and they want to get the opposite sex hormones so they look more like the opposite sex. And even if, if it were fully reversible, well, let's take that statement that this is fully reversible because in addition to the suicide argument, this is the one thing I hear all the time. It's mm-hmm. these, two, these two are the top arguments. If a child goes on puberty blockers, a girl, let's say, from the age of 11 to 16, that's pretty much the duration of a standard puberty, right? And then she comes off. Well, some studies show the endocrine system doesn't just kick right into gear the next day anyway. It's been suppressed for all of these years. You guys can probably speak to that better than me. But there's no magic time machine that takes her back to when she's 11 and she can go through puberty again. Kids aren't going to go through puberty in their 20s. It's not just going to pick up and make up for all of these lost years. No. And in fact, you can even say with an adult male, Ken, we know we know we have several patients. We know several people who have taken testosterone supplements and or they 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 do uh, testosterone supplementation. Okay. They'll, they'll do the injections. But maybe they've decided that they want to stop being dependent upon testosterone or something like that. Hormones are very, very, very delicate. And there's a negative feedback mechanism so that once there is a threshold of circulating hormone, that the natural supply doesn't produce nearly as much. So guys who want to remain guys and are taking testosterone, they take that away. They'll usually go through a period of depression until the testes can hopefully begin to produce testosterone again and then start to level up. And that is, that's, that's an issue. I can only imagine if you're trying to cross-sex an adolescent, which you still have these, these same feedback mechanisms, which are all biological, and we're effectively just stopping them in their tracks. I highly doubt that that's... Yeah, well, let me just comment on that also, because Abigail Schreier's uh, discussed this, and I've heard her on some podcasts, and I think she... I, did, I have not read her book, which now I'm going to get it and read it. But she was discussing how there's these YouTube influencers, mm-hmm. uh, transgender YouTube influencers that say, well, just wait, it may be rough now, but once you get on testosterone, you're going to feel amazing. And I just sat there and went, oh my gosh, wait a minute, you've depleted everything. Yeah. Once you do this, yeah, you are going to feel amazing. But then you're, that's it. The, it's, you are locked into this path because you a doctor has put you on something to suppress everything. If you put me on Lupron and you cut down my testosterone and I'm just like, I'm putting on weight. I feel bad. I just have no energy. I have no sex drive. I can't have an orgasm, nothing. And then the same doctor goes, wait, check this out. And then starts putting me on testosterone. I would be like, this is amazing. Doesn't, but now I'm committed. And she was describing how all these YouTube influencers are saying how great you'll feel once you get past the puberty delayment phase and get into the hormone phase. And then she mentioned that these people can go to Planned Parenthood and get testosterone supplementation without the parents knowing. Yes. So there's a really well-spoken, brilliant young female on Twitter. Her name's Helena. And she's detransitioned. And so a few sorry, years she's ago. Detransitioned, transition, and then. Detransitioned. Okay. Yeah. So she only did testosterone for a while, mm-hmm. thankfully. 
But she learned that the Planned Parenthood was where to get it. And the closest Planned Parenthood to her house was a five or six hour drive away. So she drove there. And the comment from the clinician or whatever at Planned Parenthood was that she showed such dedication by driving such a long distance that she must really be trans. And so they just gave her testosterone right away. No blood work, nothing. And I think they even gave her more testosterone than an average dose because something like she said her estrogen levels were high or something. I don't know. But no blood work, no nothing. 20-minute appointment, chit-chat. Here's your testosterone on your way. With with people like Helena and maybe even, have you heard of Blair White? Another. Oh, yeah. yeah. I just watched her on Joe Rogan the other day, actually. Well, okay. Well, I was, actually, I saw that uh, she had an interview. I have not even, I haven't had a chance to hear it yet. But have you found some allies with with them? Because I I realized that you say Helena is detransitioned. Uh, Blair waited until after most of her puberty and then transitioned from being a male to a female. And she's been very outspoken from what I've been able to gather about do not allow kids to take puberty blockers effectively. And then, of course, she runs through the gamut of a list of things that could happen because of that. Or have you found That's some right. allies with, with their, um, their message? I have, yeah. And she's called transphobic, by the way. A tra- <laughs> she's a, trans- a, she's trans- a trans- transphobic, transphobic person. Transphobic. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, any critical thinking about this subject at all means you're a transphobe. But uh, yes, there's other trans people who fully support what I'm doing. There's a trans man, so biological female here in British Columbia, who's a nurse, in fact, Aaron Kimberly. He's been on my YouTube channel. We've sat down at Tim Hortons. He's fully on the same side on all this stuff. Scott Nugent is from Texas, another trans man. He spent nearly a million dollars on his transition and it nearly killed him. And uh, he went the full way. He got the phalloplasty done. His forearm got destroyed. Nerves to this day are starting to pop out of his forearm and he's in Ooh. pain all the time. And uh, I guess for the phalloplasty, there were still hairs inside of it from the forearm. So then it was like, I don't know how it works, but apparently it felt like peeing through razor blades or something. It was just terrible. So there's just all these complications. This is mad science going on. But forget about like all the surgeries and everything, just socially transitioning a child is harmful because you're cementing this identity in place, which isn't true. If you take a young child who's, say, 13 years old, who's maybe struggling in life, and they come to some conclusion that they're actually the opposite sex, and they come out at school, what happens is they get celebrated. And of course, we need to love all these children. Of course. Nothing but kindness for all of these people. But socially, for a child, when they have gone from not fitting in, kind of being an outcast, to now getting celebrated by the whole school, they go to the Gay Straight Alliance or the Queer Straight Alliance clubs after school, they get all this love and support. It's next to impossible for a child to then undo that and say, oh, you know what, I made a mistake. And the one thing that does happen when they detransition is their former community of trans people suddenly say that they're a traitor and they all cut them out, cut them out of their life. You guys still hear me? 
We do. We just have a little okay. technical issue here. We're just fixing this. No problem. I was in Seattle four or five days ago, and another detransitioner came out. She's 22 years old. She detransitioned at 19, but she transitioned at 16. So she got a double mastectomy at 16, and she went on testosterone. So... So wait, let me just hear yeah. that one more time. So at sixteen, she at chose 16, to go. She had the double mastectomy. Yeah. She was on the hormone therapy. She was doing that. Yes. And then 19, and this was all. This was all because wow. her two best friends identified as trans. She had never felt this way. This is a social contagion going on. Yeah. She had never felt this way, but her two friends were trans. And so through those influences, she became trans. And she was led to believe that there was this, all these people out in the world who would hate her just for being trans, which isn't true. And then when she detransitioned at 19, came off testosterone essentially, she's still working on getting her breasts reconstructed. She has to get that done. And of course that's not covered by insurance, but cutting your breasts off is covered by insurance. What? Whoa, 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 for real? Yes. I had no None idea of, about that. I just assumed everything was hundreds of thousands no. of dollars of surgery. For a lot of people now, they're covered on their parents' insurance or whatever. Whoa. Activists are very successful in getting transition covered, but not detransition. That's never covered. And as soon as she said, oh, I'm not trans, all of her trans friends immediately cut her off. They treat her like she's some traitor. So if this was really about supporting people's identities and just loving them for who they are why is it that every time someone leaves the trans community they're treated like they've just committed heresy or something and they're cut off from the whole community and they're called transphobic this isn't about trump finding your true identity this is about growing this trans ideology which is essentially like a religion it really is. It's a basically a belief that we have a, a soul inside that is gendered. That's what, what gender identity is. It's what, a gendered soul. What was interesting also after hearing you talk uh, prior about uh, the movement and then the school indoctrination, it led me to just try to figure out what are, what are some of the larger clinics and or hospitals or med education places describing in order for someone to be a candidate for this. So I found this from the Mayo Clinic's website, which honestly was shocking to see how bland and not so much of a hurdle it would be if somebody were to look at this. So one of the things that they put on here were for, for uh, puberty blockers is what are the criteria for use of pubertal blockers? To begin use of pubertal blockers, a child must show a long lasting and intense pattern of gender nonconformity or dysphoria or gender dysphoria. What's long lasting by the time that you're the age of, of eight, I'm not really certain, um, have gender dysphoria that began or worsened at the start of puberty. Well, if it's happening at puberty, at the, at the launch of puberty, how in the world could you possibly <laughs> yeah, know? If you're stopping it. Um, address any psychological, medical, or social problems that could interfere with treatment. Mm -hmm. That literally could be interpreted any other way. And I've, I've thought of the gentleman that you said can't see his kids now because of that, because he could be seen 
as this psychological interference because he's he's well, yeah. wanting to take care of his son and then just provide informed consent. But I think that we all can concede that there's absolutely no way that you would have informed consent on the behavior, a long-term of a drug that we don't know more than, as you put it, three months for the reversibility, et cetera, not to mention the full manifestations that happen from a lack of ability to develop from brain to heart. You're more susceptible, I believe, to cardiac events. Yeah, um, women known. Yes. I mean, th th these are known things. These aren't things that we're coming up with. These are actually things I think that uh, even Marcy Bowers has some articles that she had to share. They go yeah. along with this where you talk about long-term cardiac issues. Women, if they decided, or females, if they decided not to go through with the transition risk, a, con a complete atrophy or lack of a functioning uterus, the eggs won't work. They, and like you said, micropenis, there's no ability for them to achieve orgasm. You're really hedging all of the bets. There isn't another, another develop, de developmental period for them to re-engage with these, these developmental um, mechanisms with these sex hormones. It doesn't, you don't start the clock back over. Right. And their reproductive organs don't form properly. So people have said, oh, you could just freeze their eggs or freeze their sperm or whatever. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. But to, to speak to what that website just said, they don't even follow their own guidelines, most of these clinics. If you look at a Washington Post op-ed that came out a couple weeks ago by Dr. Laura Edwards Zeeper, she founded the first gender clinic in the United States about 15 years ago. She's a senior official at WPATH, the Professional Association for Transgender Health. She herself has admitted that more than half the time, there are no mental health assessments being done for these children. And more than half the time, children are getting these drugs on their very first visit. If you go to the BC Children's Hospital website, for example, it states on their first visit, which is just an intake appointment, they receive what's called gender affirming care or affirmation only. So they simply affirm the child's self-diagnosis as being trans. There's no assessments going on. The theory is that being stuck in the wrong body is what's causing the depression and anxiety and all these other comorbidities. Not that the comorbidities are what's causing this desire to escape your sex to body. Let me and just then the very first appointment, yeah. Just the one thing, I just want to hear that one more time. Did you say that at what point were, are they given drugs? Did you say first the first visit? visit? First visit. Oh yeah, more than what? half the time. Yeah. To do a proper mental health assessment for these kids, it doesn't take a day or two or a month or two. It takes years, really, to properly get to understand what's happening with the child and to deal with all these underlying issues. But no, they handle these drugs on the first visits. I was in Ottawa last year. This mom, her daughter had just gone to the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario called CHEO. One 20-minute appointment, and she got these puberty blockers, which can either be an injection or they get an implant for a year. What? Which costs. And the implant costs about $45,000 American, oh my God. which is covered what? by insurance. Yeah. I wouldn't, if you came to me as a patient, I wouldn't put you on an SSRI, an antidepressant. I wouldn't, I'd hardly put you on any medication. 
right. would discuss lifestyle. We would discuss as an adult to an adult. There's side effects to everything I'm going to give you. Yeah. This, that is, oh my, I, I literally, my hair is like sticking up now because that yeah. is one of the most disturbing things I have ever heard that if you go through the process, one thing I, I don't get, Guys, it, but I get. This gets worse. Conversion therapy bills are passing all over the planet. What it we just had one pass in Canada last week. Unanimously it passed. So what these conversion therapy bills state is they're making it a crime to try to convert someone based on their sexual orientation or gender identity. So two totally different things in this bill. We all agree we shouldn't try to change somebody's sexual orientation. No. You shouldn't try to make a gay man not gay. Sure. Not going to happen. Our sexual orientation is immutable and we can't change it and we should never try. So we all agree with that. The real purpose for these bills is the gender identity component and for children because what they do is they conflate sexual orientation and gender identity and they treat these as though they're the same thing. Sexual orientation doesn't change. Gender identity changes all the time. The activists will tell you that gender is fluid. You can be a boy one day, a girl the next. You can be a boy and a girl. You can be neither, which is non-binary, which means nothing. But gender is fluid. We have all these kids detransitioning. We have kids that grew up. Let's use the example of a girl, because this is mainly affecting girls. You have girls growing up comfortable as girls, then through social media and sometimes school, they come to believe that they're actually a boy. So right there, their gender identity has changed. Yet these bills operate on the basis that gender identity never changes. And they make it a criminal offense to help a child feel comfortable with their birth sex. So if a girl is struggling with gender identity issues and says she's a boy and she goes to see a professional therapist, a PhD, someone who does this for a living, and the therapist cannot counsel her in such a way that would help her to feel comfortable with her body, that would be deemed conversion therapy. But these bills are a one-way street. It's fine to convince someone it's fine to convince a girl that she's a boy, but it's not fine to help her be comfortable as a girl. Or parents, counselors, faith leaders, whoever in Canada now will face five years in jail or a $2 million fine. What? So as a wow. physician, as a, as a professionally trained person, if you understand the ramifications, you cannot sit there and say, look, this is, it is quite possible. So this, this would land me in jail and get a $5 million fine. It is quite possible that you are feeling this way because your parents recently got divorced. You're going through an extremely stressful situation. Tell me the social media that you like to look at. Oh, you're, you're really focusing on, and let's not even get into the fact that social media will sit there and drive those different things. You search one thing, and Facebook's going to make sure, well, they're probably not on Facebook, but Instagram's going to make sure that, it's, that you get more 
of that that you're searching for because they want the more clicks. It's it's all algorithm driven. So suddenly yeah. the whole world becomes transgender if you're on social media. That but that is nuts. So as a physician, I go, you're going through a super tough time. Let's uh, back off. I don't want you doing the hormones. I don't want you starting some some therapy here. Let's work on whatever meditation, sleep, all these other things. This bill says that I'm committing a crime. Yes, that is conversion therapy. That is nuts. So what 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 do what do what do Canadian physicians like? Who where are they? Where where are they during this stuff? This isn't just Canada, by the way. This is Washington State. This is California. This is all sorts of states. I had a mom contact me from Washington State recently, trying to find a counselor for her kid because she cannot find a single counselor in the entire state of Washington to help her child, who at the age of 13 was on her sixth identity after being demi-boy, nano-boy, asexual, something else, something else, and then finally trans at 13. But she can't find a counselor for the, for her own daughter in the entire state of Washington. This is so I, I hooked her up with someone in some other Canadian province. But this is what's going on. And so parents, parents, who object to this can lose their kid because some of these ministries of children and families, this happened to this mom I talked to in Victoria, a couple lost their kids in Australia, lost their daughter in Australia very recently. But this mom had to meet with the ministry of children just a few months ago because the counselor at the school learned that this girl wasn't getting counseling anymore because the girl was doing better. She wasn't identifying as trans. She was feeling happier. She got on ADHD medicine and she was just doing better in life. And she didn't need counseling right now. And mom's been working on the relationship and all that sort of stuff. But the school counselor learned that she wasn't getting outside counseling. So the school counselor contacted the ministry children who sent in a social worker to talk to the mom talk to the girl individually, talk to the father individually. And the social worker told the mom that if she's not affirming her child's new name and pronouns immediately, they consider it abuse. Heck. <coughs> I, I just, I've never heard This is it. blowing my mind. So let me ask, because uh, this is a hard one, and you may not know this specifically, but you would certainly know better than we would. Is there... What is this born from? Is there an agency or a think tank? Yes. And, and what is the end point in mind? It just seems like that, that chaos and sterility are the, the biggest outcomes. So right. what's the end? So going back in time, we have always had transsexuals, people who transitioned as adults. Hopefully it made them happy, right? Sure. But this was a small thing. We have had a lot of money being poured into this. So when gay rights were won, you know, around the first decade of this century, let's say, all these LGBT organizations after gay rights were won, they turned their focus to T. And really, we need to separate the LGB from the T. Because LGB is all about sexual orientation. Gender identity is about disavowing your biological sex. It's something totally different. But 
all the money is pouring towards these transgender issues now. We've got a few billionaires in the United States. Two of them are trans women. One's a gay man who named John Stryker, who runs the Arcus Foundation. He's donated hundreds of millions of dollars to these causes. You've got Martin Rothblatt, ex-military, uh, founder of XM Sirius Radio, billionaire. Martine is now a trans woman, and Martine has been donating to fund gender clinics, children's hospitals, all this sort of stuff. Jennifer Pritzker is an heir to the Hilton fortune, and Jennifer Pritzker does the same thing, pours a ton of money into growing this ideology. And they've been doing this for a pretty long time, when everyone else is still asleep. So at the University of Victoria here in British Columbia, for example, we have the only chair in transgender studies at any university in the world that was funded by Jennifer Pritzker, who gave them a few million dollars. Money was matched by corporations. They do tons of outreach into the community. At universities, all the women's studies classes have been renamed gender studies. And it is, it's taken over all of the universities. The transgender issues are kind of part of the whole social justice warrior movement. So they kind of go in hand in hand in hand with, you know, this effort to introduce Marxism into our society and things like that. But we don't have to get into all that. But anyway, it's been extremely well funded. Thomson Reuters Corporation, which is a huge media conglomerate, along with Denton's law firm, who call themselves the biggest law firm in the world, have put together a 65 page manual which is a guidebook for activists on how to get legislation passed and how to accomplish all these goals that we've been talking about. And so they just have a playbook that they follow and they spend about $450 million a year in North America pushing through these issues, trying to get ideology into schools, trying to change legislation so it's deemed a criminal offense to help a child feel comfortable in their birth sex. And it's all just nuts. It's just nuts. And it gets, the more you look into it, the worse it gets, I'm sad to say. But we have a huge job ahead of us. And you can't look at the whole big picture because it becomes too overwhelming. Sure. So my whole thing is just have conversations with people because the media too are all in on this. The media in Canada pushed this as a romantic idea of a child finding their true self. But what I tell people is, how is it for the first time in human history, a pharmaceutical company is going to help a child to be their true self? <laughs> what does it mean to be your true self? What does that mean? What does gender identity mean? Nobody can tell me. If we can't define these terms, do they even exist? If you can't define what gender identity is without resorting to stereotypes, it means nothing. Someone told me on the street a couple months ago, a teacher, she said, I can tell you what gender identity is. I said, okay. She said, it's the gender you identify as. <laughs> All right. So it's a circular argument. Um, if, a, if being a woman or being a man isn't based in biology, what is it? Yeah. It's just based on stereotypes. It, and that's, it's, that's it what it is. The very beginning, whenever we were talking about the stereotypes depicting the fact that maybe somebody who looks female 
has stereotypes that look like male. So we don't want to pigeonhole them, but we definitely want them to feel comfortable becoming this male, even though they're female, just because they do things that are stereotypical, but we don't want to stereotype them. And you're right. It is circular. It's nonsensical. There's no end. It's pure right. chaos. It's it, it, that whole aspect of the money that's pouring into it and the universities doing different things and all that, that is its own beast. But what you started your path with uh, is not a transgender path. It is a let's child abuse, child abuse. Child abuse. let's stop yeah. child abuse and listening to yeah. everything you're saying, everything about it is child abuse. And I, I don't want to bring up what we were doing today, but we, we these beautiful young women would come in and they would, you know, cause I do scopes. And so like, you know, they, they would come in and I would say, Hey, at, at 12 or 13 or 11, did, did you ever find any awkward phases? All of them, all of, all them. of them. Yes, I did. Were you ever anxious? Yes. And now there are these beautiful, successful 22, 23, 24, 25, 28, 30. They're all, but they all said that was such a tough period in their life because it is hard as a yeah. teenage girl. And then you throw the social media that you brought up into that. And that's something. So it is like getting away from all that other stuff, your yeah. fight is against child abuse. And there's not right. one person in the world that can ever say, let's promote child abuse. Not only that, right. uh, we've, we've also got people, you mentioned tomboys, and, and we had the conversation today. Some of the girls who were tomboys growing up have grown up to be beautiful moms, beautiful women, period. And they've moved on to, to be married to men, and they're very, very, very happy that I knew in in childhood and from the other side i've also got friends that happen to be gay and they grew up fine and they have great lives now they they're just gay i've got relatives they're they're there's nothing wrong with them manifesting exactly what they were born to go and go do it didn't require right. the pharmaceutical industry to come in and press their thumb upon their development or growth. I mean, I think that's, so that's crazy. One of the things that I heard you talk about on a prior podcast is the lack of informed consent to the parents. That parents don't really yeah. get the full story on the implications of this kind of stuff. And the parents feel like they're doing the right thing because a doctor is saying, and I've, oh my gosh, I, in preparation for this, I've gone down some rabbit holes and I've gone to what I would consider prestigious institutions like Boston University. They have a whole transgender or endocrine clinic listening to their videos. And it was, it's so, we pulled up up to date, which is oh, yeah. a um, subscription program that I use to always make sure that I'm up to date on certain issues. And we pulled this one up and it was like, this is weird. This has got some political undertone to it. Well, it's almost like it was written from the playbook that you referenced. Like it's, yeah. it's yeah, just, yeah. it's like it's written from this playbook because it, it's not near of the scientific uh, level as of anything else that we've gotten there. It doesn't, it didn't really right. dive with anything else. This is almost right there. What we were talking about with Peter McCullough, Peter McCullough, the cardiovascular. Um, oh yeah doctor that was on Rogan recently, you know, and he has said this, he's like, because of some of the things they're not because of the massive push uh, to get the vaccine out, a lot of the potential side effects that are necessary to be discussed, if you're going to advertise on pharma, 
it's almost like that. It's like the doctor saying, this is, you identify as this, so we need to do this. But there's not some guy walking in immediately afterwards going, you also may experience hair loss, weight gain, anxiety, increased depression, possibility of never coming off this drug, da 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 da, da. That's what needs to happen. It happens on TV when they put Humira up or Remicade up or Viberzi or every other drug that gets up there. They, the FDA requires them to say that. And a lot of these parents, as you have mentioned, um, and as Abigail has mentioned, were unaware of the downside of doing it. They were just said, if you don't do this, you're denying your child's true identity. Oh, the parents are getting bullied. And, yeah. and they're told if you've got two options. You can have a trans kid or a dead kid. Oh, my gosh. I'm not making this up, man. Oh, I know. I believe you. They sell this suicide thing. And if you go to my website and go to puberty blockers and then the studies, you'll see studies on how many kids grow out of this. And then you'll see a whole bunch of articles about this suicide man. And yes, ideation is higher, but it's not true that they're all killing themselves or that it goes up even versus if you don't let them transition. It's totally not true. All three of us are parents, and when you yeah. start pulling that trump card, yeah. Yeah. you're like, oh, like you've got, uh, I mean, you, you're no longer thinking logically. And parents are all different. Like some people are, you know, how it is. Some parents maybe have their own struggles going on or whatever, and uh, they just believe what the doctor tells them. And they're told it's just a pause button, and they can come off, and it's fully reversible, and their kids going through all these struggles and home life's terrible and they just want to help their kids but they're not being told proper information and if you read this op-ed in the washington post a couple weeks ago by dr laura edward Sleeper, uh, she says this word affirmation only has been totally twisted like we're not just supposed to take a child's self-diagnosis and say yes little girl you're a boy we're supposed to acknowledge how they're feeling and then go from there, not just run with their own self-diagnosis and start medicating them right away. But the fact of the matter is, there's so many kids going through this now, this rapid onset gender dysphoria. We would need every therapist in the world dedicating all their time just to doing mental health assessments for gender dysphoric kids. And there's not enough of them. It's physically impossible to do proper assessments for all of these children. So they're just medicating them all. So let's and bring Sweden up. Stop this. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I want to bring up the fact that you uh, that you were talking about. There's not enough therapists around, yeah. and then the parents are going through their own stuff. Clearly, the last couple of years have been very, very tough. Yeah. And we have talked about this that I don't remember where it was. I saw this fantastic YouTube video on a psychologist discussing the implications of social media. And the dopamine hit and, and the, the way that it can connect, the way that it just engulfs people, not kids, everyone. And the best comment was when you have your preteen that comes home from a really bad day at school where they were possibly bullied, where they were felt excluded, where they felt that all these things, and you allow them to go into their room with their phone and bury in that and go down these rabbit holes, that's the equivalent of giving them a key to the liquor cabinet and go, you need to deal with your problems over there. That's one of the other things that you've mentioned social media, and that's multiple times. And we, Abigail certainly said that the rise of social media has coincided with the rise of adolescent girls doing this. But as parents saying, 
you know, oh, you, my child's sulking in her room with, and they're on their phone, that just keeps enforcing this type of mentality, this type of, I'm just trying to find inclusion kind of thing. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to keep kids off social media, but if they never start on it in the first place, it's a lot easier. Yeah. So my girls are nine and 12. And we've had talks, and I don't tell them. They've come to this conclusion on their own that they don't want to be on social media. Because just by talking, I've gotten them to figure out that, yeah, no good is going to come from this. You know, one day my daughter wanted to post a TikTok video. She'd never done a TikTok video, but she's a pretty good dancer. She was in dance class and stuff. And she wanted to post a video maybe because other kids at school were doing it. So I didn't say anything. I just said, okay. Who do you think is going to be watching your video? And, you know, she came to the conclusion, some friends and, oh, yeah, who else? Maybe some dads, maybe some men, maybe some, who knows? Like, just adults in society. And I just thought, well, do you want all these people that you've never talked to kind of watching you dancing? And she went, no, she doesn't. So she came to that conclusion on her own. And they know what I'm doing. And they are fully up to speed on all this gender stuff. And they know that social media is a huge component and it's not healthy for kids because you've got a thousand kids looking at you and then maybe a million, who knows? And if you do something stupid once, it's there forever. Mm-hmm. So it's just another pressure about growing up that they don't need. But these kids who do have maybe, I'm not saying they all have bad home lives because they don't. We have kids from all sorts of demographics falling mm-hmm. into this, especially upper and middle class. It's mostly, a lot of upper middle class white kids, statistically from liberal families. But of course, it can capture anyone. But to answer one of your very first questions, which is why I got involved in this, I see this, it has all the hallmarks of a traditional cult. Mm-hmm. And I understand that anyone can fall prey to cult like behaviors. I understand if anyone is immersed in an environment where they are told something over and over and over again, which is what's happening in our schools and universities and social media, that it's going to affect their brains a hundred percent. doesn't matter how strong you are. So I wanted to learn about it all to protect my kids. And then I just learned too much. (laughs) And, uh, and basically I said, how do I want to spend my days? Do I just want to chase money and maybe get a bigger house one day or something? Um, it seems to me the best use of my days right now is just having conversations with people about this because it's almost impossible to get this message out. It is impossible in Canada. None of our media will cover it. At least there's conservative media in the States who will cover it. And there are podcasters, bigger podcasters who who are starting to talk about this. And there are guys like you who I'm so thankful for because we need doctors speaking up because who am I? I'm nobody. I'm just some dad. But when doctors start speaking up about this, that adds a whole new level of credibility to the statements that we're making. And people can't deny it like they can with me. So it's really important that people like you start speaking up because again, this isn't really about transgender issues at all. This is just about pure child abuse. This is what I see to be the biggest medical scandal affecting children in modern medicine history because we are sterilizing 
thousands of kids who will never grow up to have an intimate relationship. We're cutting off body parts of children even without parental approval. Parental rights are being taken away. This is a very dark thing going on. And it takes time to explain to people. It's not an easy thing like saying, men shouldn't compete in women's sports because this swimmer will beat you by 40 seconds, like happened at the University of Pennsylvania last week. This is about ruining a child's future. And it's, it's irreversible, irreversible damage, as Abigail Schreier so nicely put it. Well, Chris, you said that you're a nobody. And, and of course, the pleasure is all ours to have you on the show. Um, what, what can people do to support you? And I believe that you have a website, which is billboardchris.com, correct? Yes. I, I do all my campaigning on Twitter, which is at billboardchris. But I do have a donate button on the website, and I even hate bringing this up, but I mean, I have to pay bills, I have to pay for traveling. So if people do want to support me, it really comes in handy because I'm always operating on fumes, but I somehow just keep getting through. But uh, that's the easiest way to help me. And I just ask that people get up to speed and have conversations because word of mouth is truly how we're going to end this epidemic of child abuse one day. People just have to learn what's happening because I know when parents figure out what's happening in sufficient numbers that we're going to be able to end this because we're not going to stand for it. But right now, if only 0.1% of the population knows it's not enough and it's not enough to make politicians listen either. So we just need to get 2% of the population aware and I think we start reversing some of this. And it is happening. Sweden aired a documentary, and directly coincident with their documentary, the amount of kids showing up to gender clinics fell off a cliff. And Sweden and Finland have stopped this practice now, citing no evidence. And they'll only do it if kids are part of a clinical study, which is what should have happened from the get-go. The High Court in England ruled in December of 2020 that children can't give informed consent to puberty blockers. Thank goodness. A uh, gender clinic in Perth, Australia has stopped the practice. I think they're afraid of getting sued. The psychiatric college in New Zealand and Australia has said mental health assessments need to be done first. But it's just the wild, wild west of, of gender medicine uh, with no evidence base for it. You said documentary. Is, is, is that accessible? Yeah. Just Google Mission Investigate uh, Trans. And it's a Swedish documentary. It's four series. It's four parts. There's another fabulous documentary uh, done by Nolan Presents in the UK. I haven't watched it all yet, but it's. I know it's just tremendous, and it's focusing on what happened in the UK, what's been happening with Stonewall, which is kind of their LGBT advocacy organization, mm -hmm. which has just become a total joke. A lot of gay and lesbian people are totally against this, I should add. Oh, yeah. Because it's a lot of gay and lesbian adults who had gender dysphoria when they were younger and grew up to be the beautiful gay and lesbian people that they are. And you get regimes like Iran, where it's illegal to be gay. They will, they will execute homosexuals in Iran, but it's okay for them to transition. So you get homosexual men basically forced to transition to become a trans woman, and then they can have a relationship with other men. But that's essentially what we're doing here. And we're calling it 
love and acceptance and inclusion. This is 1984 level propaganda. Yeah, I agree. Well, this is, uh, first of all, love the fact that you're taking the time to do this with us. Mm -hmm. I'm actually new to this whole concept. And Eric uh, turned me on to you, listened to you on a podcast, and started going to your website and realizing how knowledgeable you are. And I'm a physician, uh, a gastroenterologist. I'm pretty good at the gut. This kind of stuff, when I started looking at it, was flooring me and what you have told me today is just absolutely knocked the socks off this is you're talking science you're doing the stuff that i do every single day i i convince people to change their lifestyles due to science-backed reasoning and you're discussing science-backed reasoning this is not it doesn't sound like an opinion piece at all it is if you are going to harm a child permanently period that's abuse that's we right. don't have the science any irb investigational review board would not allow a study to take place where the long-term effects of these medications were not already known or at least already completely studied in this setting and you're right it's being used off label everything you said is totally logical from a medical perspective and you've you're you're getting your degree in this and so i want to thank you for taking the time to do it and i really believe that you're making a difference certainly making a difference in this room right here yeah no i really appreciate it chris um in the show notes we'll definitely have a link uh to your website to your twitter handle of course on your website features the uh, donate uh, the donate uh, button so that you can support chris and his effort to just simply educate just as you've been done today by uh, listening to this, uh, this particular podcast. And, and, and uh, I'll see if I can't dig up some good links for uh, Nolan Presents and uh, Mission Investigating. Uh, yeah, it. I'll send you some. I'll oh, awesome. You. Yeah, we'll include, we'll include all of that. This is probably one of the more serious uh, all the way through podcasts that we've had, but it's mm -hmm. just critically important. And it, it didn't just get my attention because it seemed so important. It got my attention because I literally didn't know anything about the severity and the encroachment and the danger that this presented to, to kids. I just had no yeah. idea until I heard your, your voice a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Even in Texas, because social media is everywhere. You might not 100%. be in the schools there but it's everywhere. So yeah. Thank you this so is, much guys. Really yeah, appreciate this it. Is, this is a very special moment for me. I'm thinking of how many people uh, there's a brain gut access and I treat a lot of autism spectrum disorder. I treat a lot of this. Oh, okay. and this is something that I could start discussing with parents, you know, with uh, 16 and up. I'm not a pediatrician. I would love to talk to all my gastroenterology colleagues because most people that are suffering from some anxiety or depression, they many times will manifest in their gastrointestinal tract. And it's an opportunity to raise awareness amongst my community to say, this is something you need to watch this damn podcast. Because if you're being asked questions about this kind of stuff, certainly our pediatric friends, um, this is important to know the, the long-term ramifications because if you're not, if you don't have the bandwidth to look it up on your own, 
then it's like me. I was like, oh, we're going to have, you know, Billboard Chris on. Who's that? And you're like, just check it out. And yeah. like, oh, shit. <laughs> this is real. Yeah. So Yeah, this is all real. Wow. Yeah. Well, Chris, thank you so much. Chris Elston, Billboard Chris, BillboardChris.com. You bet. Absolutely. Uh, that's going to do it for episode 67. Let us know and uh, like and share and certainly give us feedback on what you find on. The- and if this, if this got you thinking a little bit, please go to at Billboard Chris or BillboardChris.com and throw a couple bucks his way so that we can continue to grow this. Certainly we expect in Texas to have, we have a pretty big audience here in Texas and you know, we're, we're a little different than maybe other parts of the country where we're a little, we, yeah. want, to, we want to protect our kids. There we go. I'm, I'm going to be in LA next week. I'm going on a family vacation, actually long delayed vacation because of COVID, but I'm going out on the streets a few days and I think some videographers are going to come out because I'm, I'm working with a woman to produce a little mini documentary. So we, we got to keep getting the word out there and the more support I have, the more things we can do because I've got a thousand other ideas, but I, I really it. appreciate you guys having me on. Thanks, guys. No, thank you, thank Chris. you, Chris. Have a great day. Have a great That's day. That's going to do it for episode. All right. Seven, everyone. We'll see you all next time. Bye-bye.